Hi, this is Ann Wilson, and you're listening to the Your Morning Coffee podcast with Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From the Wall Street Journal, streaming is changing the sound of music. From Rob Abelow, if I ran Spotify, I'd do these eight things. And from Midia, a new era of fan-made music is about to begin. Mm-hmm. Well, how about that, Jay? How about fan-made music? We're going to get a little techie on some uh, music-making tools and all kinds of other stuff. So we're glad you're here. We're going to start the podcast right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. like that song jay i gotta tell you so the song is this is now and it's from her upcoming album ann wilson and trip sitter the album's called another door out september 29th and i'm just such a huge fan of ann wilson i grew up in the seattle area and they were my led zeppelin and you know they're they're just uh, in that fabric of my my childhood. My life is uh, hard and so fun that I get to work with Anne and her team, and um, I just I just love this new music. And I think I've mentioned this on the show before. And I saw them on their first tour, Heart. I had heard Magic Man that summer. On I just got my driver's license, and I drove up to Santa Barbara to see them. And in, in a weird twist, 
shortly before the concert uh, started, they had added Leonard Skinner to the bill. And Leonard Skinner was in the middle. So it was Hart, <laughs> Leonard Skinner, and Jefferson Starship, which was a strange, strange bill. But, you know, of course, Leonard Skinner was huge in those days. And Hart came out and they blew both bands off the stage. I it was, see it was that. just yeah. remarkable. And, uh, and I've seen them since, and they are still unbelievably dynamic live. And Anne is just a force of nature with that voice. Uh. I mean, she just... And, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard for singers to maintain range and, and depth and power as they age. You know, things change. You listen to Sinatra in those last years, and he was just, you know, kind of a... Right. A small percentage well, of what he was. Right? It's just natural. Most singers are. She's yeah. a freak of nature. She still sounds yes. amazing. Um, if you haven't seen the Kennedy Honors, where Hart plays uh, in front of Led Zeppelin, they do Stairway to Heaven. Uh, look up that video on YouTube. It'll give you chills. And I was, uh, I, I got to see a dress rehearsal um, in Nashville for this tour, and it was just stunning uh, hearing that voice and. She still has it. She's absolutely amazing. So September 29th, the album is called Another Door by Ann Wilson and Trip Sitter. And that song that you just listened to part of is called This Is Now. Uh, so good. Great song. And you just got back from New York again, didn't you? I did. Um, it was phenomenal. Um, I'm working with Roger Waters and his team, and he's got a new album coming out October 6th. Um, Dark Side of the Moon Redux. And this was an, a listening event at the Power Station. And oh. uh, you know about the Power Station. Oh, boy. That is a studio of epic regard. You know, that's well, I think I told you earlier today when you were talking, uh, I have a book called uh, Sound Te Temples of Sound. That's what it's called. And it's, it's about all of the classic recording studios where lots of things were made. And that's got a, its own chapter, as you can imagine. And yeah. that's been around for a very long time. That must've been a wonderful event. Um, yeah, it, and, it really and, was that. I mean, that studio, just seeing all of the albums that have been recorded there. Of course, the power station, the recording studios where Bruce Springsteen, Paul Simon, Tony Bennett, Lady Gaga, David Bowie, Madonna, Herbie <laughs> Hancock, Esperanza Spalding, Bob Dylan, the cast of Hamilton, many others recorded iconic albums. And it's recently been transformed into a state-of-the-art recording and video production facility and campus for Berkeley uh, School of yeah. Music to provide music and performing arts education. That's really cool. It is really cool. It's just uh, Google it sometimes. It's so beautiful in there and just looking at all of these albums on the wall knowing that they were recorded uh, at this studio and what was really cool is in this listening event you know all of these you know people from the press and from digital service providers and it was really a, a nice listening event and uh, I got to meet David Frick Oh, yeah. David Frick. Of course, he's written about music forever, uh, more than four decades for publications, including Rolling Stone, Mojo, and the late, great British weekly Melody Maker, and now Jazz Times. Yeah. And I love his, he's got a great XM state, uh, or a show on XM radio called The Writer's Block, and it is great. It's great radio. He's a great host, and he pulls out really great albums, and has, I heard an Ian Hunter interview from him. It's fantastic. 
fantastic. And, and he's good. He's such a great writer. Uh, you know, he's a Grammy nominated uh, writer of album liner notes, you know, and a three time winner of the ASCAP um, Deems Taylor Award for excellence in music journalism. But I've read his things, his pieces, his work for so many years. And it was just, you know, it was like meeting a rock star. So that, that was uh, pretty cool, but all in all a great week uh, in New York with meetings and then this uh, listening event. And, and just so people know this, this dark side of the moon redux that we got to listen to that comes out October 6th. Um, he tells a story about how it sort of came about. He said that when he, he, he recorded the stripped down songs for the lockdown sessions, you know, and the 50th anniversary of dark side of the moon was looming. And he said it occurred to him that the dark side of the moon could well be suitable candidate for a similar sort of reimagining reworking. And so he talked about it with his producer, Gus, and, you know, he felt really strongly about it. And it's, it's really interesting because he's, as he says, you know, this is not a replacement for the original. It's, you know, he says, obviously that's irreplaceable, but it is a way for a 79 year old man to look back across the intervening 50 years, 50 years into the eyes of a 29 year old and say, you know, to quote a poem of his about his father, we did our best. We kept his trust. Our dad would have been proud of us. And it's also a way for him to honor uh, the recording, as he puts it, that Nick and Rick and Dave and I have every right to be proud of. So um, it was just a, a career highlight. So um, very well. Cool. And as 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 you and I have mentioned a number of times again on this show, uh, when we talk about Pink Floyd and Dark Side of the Moon, that was their is it their sixth or seventh album, and they got. Nobody gets a chance anymore. You know, that's the biggest, one of the big selling albums of all time. Yeah. They were not a big selling group until that record. And uh, they got the time and it's too bad labels don't give the same amount of kind of growing space for, for artists these days. Yeah. But, but they don't. And that's no. the way it is, Jay. But hey, we do need to thank our sponsors. Because, yes, sir. Jay, we are so lucky when we do the show that we have wonderful, wonderful folks that have uh, been with us since the beginning, just about. And so yeah. we, need to, we need to thank them in, in exclamation points. We sure do. The Your Morning Coffee podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle, which, by the way, um, I'm going to be meeting up with uh, Dave Cool from uh, Banzoogle oh, yeah. at Americana Fest in Nashville next week. Um, looking forward to that. Uh, Dave has been and Banzoogle have been so supportive of your morning coffee. Um, so Banzoogle is a platform that's built by musicians for musicians. Seriously, most of the people that work there play in a band. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform, makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features that you need for a professional website, everything is built right in. Hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, very important, social media integrations and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com. Try it for free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, MORNINGCOFFEE, and that'll get you 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code morning coffee. 
And the Your Morning Coffee podcast is also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by our friend, by our friend and founder, Bruce Houghton, with help from Alana Bonilla. HypeBot and sister blog, Music Think Tank, are published by live music discovery and marketing platform, Bands in Town. Ah, uh, yes, we love Bands in Town. Over 80 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist services platform, connecting over 590,000 artists with their superfans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. And we are also sponsored by the Music Business Association. The Music Business Association creates the rooms in which the important conversations that shape our industry's future take place. Our membership represents every major segment of the global music business, including labels and distributors, music streaming, retail and wholesale, publishers and PROs, rights management and metadata, artist managers, tech and startups. Go over to musicbiz.org for more information. So big thanks to our friends. Banzoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association. We sure appreciate it, and I appreciate the handsome lad that is Jay Gilbert. He is a music industry consultant. He's the curator of the weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter, which if you are not subscribing, you better because it's... It's so fantastic. Jay puts a ton of time and work into it. He's also a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, and Warner Music Groups. And I am so fortunate to have Mike Etchart as my co-host, a longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music Group. And it's so funny, last week um, I got a note from Randall Foster over at Symphonic, and he's like, wait a second, Mike was at SST? And I'm like, yeah, it's like, damn, you know, like for those that know SST is, it's a big deal. It's a big punk label. It certainly is. And was, yeah, fun job. Uh, and, uh, got my start there. Learned, learned, learned about the fun world of independent distribution, which was really, really cool. So I need uh, to read that book on SST records. I have great. it on my pile. There's just so many things that are coming out. You know, you and I were talking earlier about, you know, Bernie Toppin has a biography out now called Scattershot. And I just can't wait uh, to read that. And that leads us beautifully into the, the first story because it's sort of uh, based on a book as well. Yes, it is. And let me get the first story because I just moved my paper. Uh, this is from the Wall Street Journal. Streaming is changing the sound of music. And really fascinating. And this, in fact, like you said, it's going to be a book. Uh, this is uh, one of the, the book will be, and this article was written by Howie Singer, who's the former chief strategic technologist of Warner Music Group, and Bill Rosenblatt, who is the president of Giant Steps, a media technology consulting firm. And the essay that is in the Wall Street Journal is adapted from their new book, uh, Key Changes, The Ten Times Technology Transformed the Music Industry. Yeah, and, and as boy, you're listening not a to book, this... It is the book right is up, out yes. now, and yes, uh, it is out. Um, I get my copy on Monday when this podcast goes live, and I can't wait to read it. And I'm going to reach out to uh, Howie and see if those guys want to talk with us a little bit about it. But uh, yeah, this was in the Wall Street Journal, and it wasn't in your morning coffee because it came out after I sent the newsletter out. Um, I will definitely put it in next week, but. 
I just thought it was such a great piece. And, you know, I love that book by Steve Knopper, Appetite for Self-Destruction. And yes, we've had him on the podcast. And it's one of my favorite books because you and I were in the room with some of those meetings. And it's it's just so amazing to see how the industry has done some things that were really smart and maybe made some mistakes along the way. And like you said, Wall Street Journal, this is streaming is changing the sound of music. And it says to succeed on Spotify and other services, songs are getting shorter, albums are getting longer, and artists are collaborating across all genres. Uh, I, I just really enjoyed reading this piece. Yeah, well, it starts off says in 2022, on-demand music streams in the U.S. alone exceeded one trillion. Starting in the mid 2010s, the success of streaming services like Spotify, Tencent, and Apple Music led the music industry into a period of sustained revenue growth for the first time since 1999, the year Napster launched. But the rise of streaming hasn't just transformed the business of music. It has changed the music as well. It really has. I mean, it, yes, it I mean, has. we, and we'll go into it a little bit more in this piece, but we've been re- sort of talking about it and, you know, don't bore us, get to the chorus and how there's a lot of these shorter songs and then the albums, some of the albums are really long. And then you're looking at a short form video world where, you know, everything's sort of edited down into bite-sized chunks because nobody has any attention span. But back in 1972, the Temptations hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 charts winning three grammys are you ready for this with a seven minute version of the song papa was a rolling stone a seven minute oh, that would yeah, never happen song. today right okay no. so before the temptations even sing a word in that song an instrumental introduction featuring organ guitar bass and a hi-hat cymbal ebbs and flows for more than four minutes if the group were in the studio today the title chorus would most likely have been featured much earlier in the song that's because music streaming services pay artists based on the number of plays each month well we can go into that and to count as a play a user must listen to the song past the 30 second mark if a song you've never heard before takes a long time to get to the hook or simply has an extended intro, there's a good chance you might just simply hit the button to go to the next song. That's right. To keep the skip rate as low as possible, music artists are increasingly moving a song's hook or chorus to that initial 30-second sweet spot. Nate Sloan and Charlie Harding, the hosts of the Switched On Pop podcast, have coined the term pop overture to describe a new trend in which a song will play a hint of the chorus in the first five to ten seconds so that the hook is in your ear, hoping that you'll stick around till about 30 seconds in when the full chorus eventually comes in. Oh, that's that's amazing. I mean, creators are modifying modifying more than just the introductory sections of tracks for optimal performances on streaming. Every track that is listened to for more than 30 seconds counts as a play. But whether a listener makes it all the way through a song helps to determine whether a streaming service like Spotify will recommend similar songs in the future. Super interesting. Yeah, so as the Grammy-winning producer and performer Mark Ronson said in an interview in The Guardian, all your songs have to be under 3 minutes and 15 seconds because if people don't listen to them all the way to the end, they go into this ratio of non-complete heard 
which sends your Spotify rating down. For a musician, getting a song on Spotify's popular Today's Top Hits playlist means real money. A study, a, I'm sorry, a study by researchers at the University of Minnesota and the European Joint Research Center found that songs on the list gain an average of 20 million streams, worth up to $163,000 in royalties. I had never heard that stat. That's stunning. Today's Top Hits, you get on there. An average of 20 million streams and $163,000 paid to the rights holder. That's crazy. As a result of all of this, according to an analysis by blogger Michael Tauberg, the average length of a hit song has dropped more than 30 seconds since 2000, when it was over four minutes back then. Nearly two-thirds of the songs that achieved the number one spot in the first half of 2021 were under three minutes long. Ironically, these tracks would have fit comfortably on early recording cylinders and phonograph records whose limitations were considered a major artistic impediment in the early 20th century. Well, and this is where it gets weird. As songs get shorter, albums are getting longer. <laughs> Culture 2 by the hip-hop wow. group Migos, the number one album in America in February of 2018, included 24 tracks and clocked in at an hour and 45 minutes, wow. almost double the length of their previous uh, Grammy-nominated release. Chris Brown's Heartbreak on a Full Moon in 2017 had 45 songs. In 2022, the British indie band Pocket of God took this trend to an extreme with their album, 1,000 times 30, Nobody Makes Money Anymore. That title said it all. The band was protesting inadequate compensation by offering an album comprising 1,000 1, tracks <laughs> of just over 30 seconds in length. The oh first song God. is titled uh, .002, referring to how many cents the artist ends up receiving each time a song was played. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not that's, funny, but it's funny. No, right. this, this trend is, is a response to the incentives of streaming. Um, when, when fans stream a new album from their favorite act, they tend to listen to the whole thing the first time through. So the more songs the album contains, the more income it generates. Makes sense. Taylor Swift's 2022 album, Midnight's, occupied all of the top 10 slots of the Hot 100 chart shortly after its release. I remember that. When Ed Sheeran's album, Divide, was released in 2017 and all 16 of its tracks made it into the top 20, it sparked sort of a backlash in the British music industry anyway, which was concerned that other artists were missing out on the benefits of occupying the top chart positions. The UK's official charts company adopted a new rule because of it that an artist could only have a maximum of three tracks in the Hot 100, their top 100, at a time, regardless of the actual streaming numbers. That doesn't seem fair. <laughs> the streaming economy is also altering release strategies for new music. In the era of records and CDs, labels tried to maximize the sales of an album before the artist's next one hit the store shelves. In 2017, by contrast, the rapper Future released two albums in consecutive weeks and both of them hit number one. Brockhampton, another hip-hop artist, dropped three albums that year. Streaming also means more opportunity for genres that usually didn't get shelf space in the era of physical re retail. Yeah. Latin and K-pop artists are showing up more and more frequently in Spotify's global top 100. More than 10 million music consumers follow Viva Latino, making it the third most followed playlist on Spotify. That's right. And we talked about this with Bruno Del Granado 
our friend from mm-hmm. CAA, Latin Music, that, you know, because of streaming, you know, Latin music has exploded, you know, and the popularity has fostered more and more collaborations across all genres, you know, as artists become engaged with a broader spectrum of other artists, a remix of a pop song that includes a verse sung in Spanish by a Latin star means that the track can be featured on a wider variety of playlists it increases the chances that it will appear in search results. Uh, for instance, when Justin Bieber's song Sorry was released in October of 2015, it spent three weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100. One month later, Sorry, the Latino remix, was released featuring Jay Balvin, the Colombian uh, reggaeton artist, singing in Spanish. That version of the track appealed to a broader audience than the original while drawing fans to both versions, racking up an additional, you ready for this, 178 million plays just on Spotify. That's crazy. The creative impulse that drives musicians to create new and different versions of popular songs should not be discounted, but it would be naive to ignore the commercial motivations that often factor in. I can't wait to read this book, man. Oh yeah, it's going to be a great book. Again, the book is called Key Changes, The Ten Times Technology Transformed the Music Industry. Uh, Just released, Howie Singer and Bill Rosenblatt wrote the book. And uh, that's going to be a good one. You and I will both have that book and both be reading that very shortly. Yeah, and we'll report back on it. And I'm going to reach out to those guys and see if we can uh, have a conversation with them on the show. show Um, But it's stuff that's near and dear to to our heart and of course to our audience. And it's, you know, this is not unusual for technology to disrupt the music industry. And we learned about it in Steve Knopper's book, Appetite for Self-Destruction. I think we're going to learn a little bit more from this book and then we'll, uh, we'll have another conversation. But since the dawn of time, whether it was Les Paul and, you know, electrifying things, whether it was drum machines, whatever, you know, you and I've talked about this so much over the years that, you can't stop technology and whether it's, you know, web three or AI or whatever it is, the technologies come and you just have to adapt to them. Well, and artists by nature, generally speaking, like to, you know, they, they like new stuff. And so they're the first ones to, and, and then the, the rest of the industry really needs to kind of catch up to artists using yeah. all these tools and technologies coming up with all this stuff. So yeah. for sure, it's uh, changing times, but like <laughs> like this book seems to, to uh, let us know that there have been 10 times technology has transformed the music industry. So I can hardly wait to read the book. Yeah. Uh, on to number two from, uh, from Rob Abelo. If I ran Spotify, Jay, I do these eight things. Yeah, I was really excited when I when I saw this um, because uh, Rob Abelow, if you don't know, he's the founder of Where Music's Going. Uh, Check out the website. They've got an amazing, well, he's got an amazing newsletter, Where Music's Going. Um, I don't ever miss it. Um, it's, it's really great. And when I saw his name here, I thought, oh, this is going to be good. And, uh, yes. And, uh, yeah, this, this is basically, uh, you know, sort of a blog that he's, uh, this post that he put about what he would do, um, if he was the, uh, CEO. So how he opens it up is he said, welcome artists and builders each week. We navigate music's future together today. I'm putting together my imaginary CEO hat taking over Spotify and driving it towards a fan-driven decade. And before we jump in, you'll remember that Ted Joya did something similar a few weeks ago that we reported on where he was like, you know, if I was, and I I think it was just the CEO of a streaming company, um, some things that he would do. 
But I thought this one by Rob Abelo was, uh, I don't know. I, I just felt like it made a lot more sense to me. It wasn't just, you know, pie in the sky stuff. So let, let's jump in. Yeah. So he says, if I ran Spotify, he said, let's remember Spotify's first decade was all about getting every listener to spend $10. And he says, Spotify's next decade should be all about turning listeners into fans. Amen. But in their pursuit of podcasts, they've lost sight of where music's going, interactivity, fandom, and experience. It's opened a hole in their armor, one that TikTok music is coming for. And then he says, if I ruled Spotify, I would turn it into music's super app where you listen, engage, buy, share, create, and connect. Here's how. All right. Well, let's go into the first one. What would he do? Number one, he said, I'd go all in on music. The last five years have seen heavy investment going wide on audio. No more. We're, we're back to a music-first company nurturing fandom, artists, interactivity, and creation. We'll facilitate this and benefit from it. Podcasts remain, but separate from music feeds. Uh, we've spent $1.27 billion on podcast-related acquisitions since 2019. And when he says we, he means Spotify. And now he's the CEO of Spotify in this imaginary piece. Um, we're bringing that energy to elevating the fan experience. By the way, I was shocked when I saw that number. I mean, he, he lays out the companies and stuff that they acquired or the, the podcast yeah. related acquisitions since only 2019. That's $1.27 billion since 2019 in the last four years. And, and you know what they say, stunning. Mike, you know, a billion here, a billion there. Pretty soon you're talking real pretty money. Pretty soon you're talking yeah. about real money. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sorry. So his number two is move to a fandom-focused model beyond subscriptions, microtransactions, upgrades, artist subs, tickets, merch, digital goods, and more. If you want to monetize super fandom, you can't just slap a higher price on a marginally better product. Each artist has unique fandom levels. We'll provide the tools to harness it. And boy, we've sure heard versions of this a lot in a lot of different articles over the last few months. Yeah. And I, I subscribe to this belief. I preach this. It's, it's so true. And, and I love that he has it at number two. At number three, he says, add artist memberships on platform. Brilliant. Mm. Artists set the terms. We'll provide the best D2C tools to deliver. D2C means uh, direct to consumer, for those that don't know. Um, exclusive music, demos, listening parties, first access, chat, and more. Artists can integrate passes into other areas of their business. The artist discovery to fandom pipeline has never been this direct. Yeah, excellent. His number four is Acquired Dice, not not literal dice, but the company. Uh, he says, music discovery meets event discovery. Dice, the growing ticketing platform with killer social and discovery features, is the perfect complement to my plan. It will be our largest acquisition ever at $500 million or more. It will be worth it, though, plugging us into the 10,000 plus venues. Mm. It will remain standalone, but will integrate first access for artist subs, grow uh, group buying, and seamless streaming purchasing between the two apps. Yeah, now I really want him to become the new CEO. Number yes, five, exactly. become the artist's homepage. Spotify will no longer be just one of the many links with a smart URL that serve the same experience will be the location that you send your fans to. Your music is here. Your merch is here. Your tickets are here. Your community is here. We will give full control data and analytics to the artists. Wow. 
Yeah, and then on number six, he says, make fans a main character. Comments, chat, community, creation, profiles, people love wrapped. I'll triple down on it with streaks, updates, leaderboards, and rewards. We will feed the psychology of fandom and make it an active experience. (laughs) Fandom, baby. So good. Um, Number seven, offer creation tools for listeners. And, you know, you and I have talked about this with platforms like BandLab. Uh, you know, they've got 60 million users. Actually, I think it's getting closer to 80 million. It's, it's very important, and, and it's, it's not really happening at, like, say, DSPs. He says that music's opportunity is creation, and I agree 100%. He says, I'll add simple in-app tools for making music, interactive, licensed, and integrated with your favorite artists. Spotify's creator tools... Uh, I'm sorry, Spotify's creator tool strategy has failed. Why? Professional artists don't need these tools in a streaming app. Consumer creators do. They'll pay for it. And I'll let pro artists monetize it. And how about the last one? Number eight. (laughs) You knew this was coming. Install a user-centric artist-first model. User-centric royalties, boosts for active streaming, tighter quality control on providers, listen time impact, maxing out at five minutes per track. This will eliminate stream fraud and reward high fandom artists. And I'll make it clear where your monthly fee goes. Subscribers get support breakdowns. Artists see top supporters. Individual fans will have individual value, changing incentives through creation to interaction. We don't need every listener to become a super fan, he says. Oh my gosh, this is so well done. And and let me just point out that, you know, SoundCloud is doing some of that, you know, with their fans, mm-hmm. um, which is super cool. So check that out, Spotify fans. Um, but Rob Abelo has put together uh, such a great piece here. And, and I'm nodding my head, you know, as you're reading and as I'm yeah. reading, like, I, I hope he does become the CEO of Spotify. And it's not just Spotify. It's, you know, Apple Music, Pandora, Deezer, Amazon Music, Tencent, whatever it is, man, if, if someone could implement what Rob's laying out here, I think it would be a total game changer. I, I just, I think I'm going to print this out. This is such a great piece. Well, and could you imagine one of the other DSPs taking this on to get a, a leg up over Spotify? So that's also an interesting concept. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about Spotify, really, of the of the biggies, you know, they're the only ones that don't have another business that can support them, that, that they, they need music subscription, that's their only business. Um, so they typically have to work harder and be more proactive and creative and all kinds of things. But somebody else could take a lot, take this page basically and yeah. run with it potentially. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, so hopefully everybody's uh, you know paying attention. And, and the last thing I'll say on the Spotify thing, since he's saying you know this is what I would do if I ran Spotify, is you know if you go to somebody's artist page um, on Spotify, the information used to be at the top. You know the things like. You could put in 140 images. You could have the bio. You could have social links. You know, they still have artist pick and some of those things. But a lot of that stuff has now moved to the bottom. And that's a disappointment for me because I thought, you know, as he's pointing out here, you could have your artist page be that destination. And Mm -hmm. it was sort of 
kind of com- becoming that. And then they short of, sort of killed it and put it down to the bottom. So I just wanted to whine uh, and complain about that for a moment. And now I'll get over it. Well, and we've seen this and elsewhere, you know, whether it's in, in iPhones or, you know, digital tools or whatever, there's, there's a, um, there seems to be in, in technology, a, this sort of, um, notion that we have to keep changing things like updating and changing. And sometimes you can over update and over change because again, you know, you're, you're, are you just changing things just to be changing. Well, look at Microsoft Word. It used to be so easy to use. And now it's like the cockpit of a jet. And before we move into our last story, I just wanted to give another shout out to Rob Abelo. Go check out wheremusicsgoing.com. He's written some really great pieces like this one that we just uh, read. The last few pieces that he's, uh, I'll just read you the headlines. Music needs to trash the default release strategy. That was uh, one from uh, less than a month ago. Build careers, not moments. And if you listen to us last week talking about Maddie Elise, um, she has a piece that's basically the same. Um, and then the last one, seven ways artists can get uh, funded. So please check out where music's, uh, where music's going.com. And thanks again, Rob Abelo, for a, a great piece this week. All right, Jay, we're going to take our last story. It is from Midia. A new era of fan-made music is about to begin. And this is written by Chris Thakra, who we, of course, chatted with just last week. Uh, And uh, boy, what an interesting article. And uh, as it says, a new era of fan-made music is about to begin. It says, since Midia's comments on TikTok's music production ambitions more than two years ago, a lot has changed. Consumers have become bolder and more engaged in playing an active role in their music consumption Mm -hmm. from syncing songs to videos to changing tempos consumption has become synonymous with creation yeah and if you didn't listen to that bonus episode with uh, chris thakra and tatiana sirasano from a week or so ago do yourself a favor check that out was a great conversation and uh chris does phenomenal work and he talked about some of these things in that conversation, especially, you know, he said that BandLab, who we just mentioned, has conditioned millions of users to embrace mobile music making and cloud-based production, breaking artists in the process. With this have come new tools and expectations of tools, for, uh, for instance, AI songwriting and effects that function in a similar format to Instagram filters. And he goes on to say, and now TikTok has now started outright that they are, I'm sorry, they have stated outright that they are working on a creative tool that provides music creation and audio editing capabilities to lower the music creation barrier and mm-hmm. inspire musical creativity and expression. We have seen ByteDance experiment with music creation in a, a platform called Moff, M-A-W-F, and Ripple. The experiment is over. TikTok's music-making era... Is about to begin. It'll be interesting to see uh, how they challenge BandLab. I mean, BandLab is the industry standard now. They're a beast. Mm-hmm. Um, but but TikTok is about to put music production into the hands of over a billion users. Fans will not only use music in response to trends, but soon make music to create them. The problem is that these creators are going off the platform to make music to participate in the culture TikTok has created. So in the same way that users following, uh, flowing, I should say, to Spotify to listen to viral tracks led to the creation of TikTok music. 
TikTok will bring in the production tools that creators engage with to express themselves with music. As TikTok builds out its creation capabilities, here is what to expect. All right. Okay. The first one, creation becomes an entertainment vertical. Okay. So say you want a a sped up version of a song that you like. It won't be long before that process is embedded into platforms and fans can speed up or slow down however they like. As you're making a video, you'll be able to mold your added music uh, to the content as you please, all with a swipe. Then we will have other filters and effects like reverb, distortion, lo-fi, etc., that can be used to express feelings of you know, spacey, angry, nostalgic, etc. Again, all with a swipe. Yeah, exactly. However, he says they, uh, he, he goes on to say, sped up and slow down songs with uh, with effects will only go so far in entertaining creators. This is where AI comes into the picture. First, it will be uh, stem splitting, I, uh, which he says removing the drums, slowing it down and adding some reverb, or removing everything except the vocals, speeding it up and adding some overdrive. With stem splitting, music can be built and deconstructed like Legos. Yes, so we've and talked about yeah, this. Yeah, we're know? We're seeing that, you know, with Audio Shake, which is phenomenal, mm-hmm. and they're working with the majors. Um, Moises, you know, maybe for the amateur, um, where you can break things up into stems. And I'm telling you, that's voodoo and witchcraft. I have no idea how that technology can pull the vocals completely out of a song and not have a hole in the song. It just blows my mind. But the next one is called From Playing Music to Playing With Music. As we shift from a world of playing music to playing with music, fans will want more toys to play with. They sure will. Enter that one you mentioned, Moth, M-A-W-F. That's ByteDance's experiment with an AI tool that synthesizes organic sounds. What that means is that if you have a digital instrument that plays a saxophone, for example, you're typically playing a sample of that saxophone. In, In other words, it originates from a recording of a real instrument. With Moth, AI can be used to synthesize an instrument from scratch and also convert any sound, such as your voice, into that instrument. Uh, He says what this means is that users could change the sounds of music to a point where it wouldn't be out of the picture to simply throw out a cottage gore filter on a track and hear it stripped back, slowed down, and have any electronic elements replaced with acoustic Wow. I mean, for the fans that really want to go deep, they can break down music, put it all back together in their own style with that platform you talked about uh, called Ripple. And that's ByteDance's, you know, which is TikTok's parent company, ByteDance's virtual recording studio, Ripple. Or they could start from scratch, make their own track and transform their voice or lyrics into the voice of their favorite artists. Now, this is where that AI stuff is getting a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. A little, little too close to home. Yeah. Why does this matter? He says the music industry needs new growth drivers and the next generation of artists that will drive it are breaking in a social music creation environment. When fans can participate in music, they become more invested in the song, the artist, and the community of fans doing the same thing. This is increasingly becoming the expectation rather than the exception. Yeah, but for rights holders, this is an opportunity. Releasing sped up and slowed down tracks on Spotify 
misses the point. Music is being played with because it's fun to play with music and explore what a song could sound like with your input. However, building these tools into TikTok does more than let fans play with the music. It creates new incentives for fandom. When everyone has these tools, fandom becomes more expressive. Fans can go further than creating sped up versions and do more to change a song and start a new trend. What will really take fandom to the next level is having a space to showcase that. Yeah, and they're calling that the fan-made page. So imagine a fan-made section of an artist's TikTok music page filled with versions fans have made from playing with the artist's music. A fan-made page could include all the remixes and covers distributed through Sound On and vetted by rights holders on the artist page for all of the other fans to consume. And you'll remember, I made a prediction a while back that there's going to be sort of a new Napster for right. AI. And I think this is where this could be going. So he says the Grimes AI Spotify page is a nascent example of what this looks like. Now imagine this at a scale and a place with the community and interactivity that TikTok enables. There is also another commercial angle here with creative tools. Fans could pay for particular artists' signature tools and filters or for promotion of their particular fan-made version. I love That's that. You know, like Grimes and... Uh, mm -hmm. Holly Plus that we talked about. That's right. Instead of a few sped up in instrumental tracks on Spotify, rights holders can cash in on royalties from hundreds, if not thousands of versions of tracks made by fans. If fan-made music can count towards the charts, oh my God, fans will mobilize en masse to create new versions of their favorite artists, new releases in the same way they're currently buying CDs and downloads. With fan-made music, the music industry can create the next-generation format and up, open up a growth driver in a, in a way in-game spending has grown the video game industry. This is the social music growth driver the music industry needs. Wow. I, this whole article is, is mind-blowing. I know we've talked about a lot of these things, um, but to see it all sort of... This could be the, the new music industry, what, what uh, Chris is describing. Um, and I'll just sort of end it by saying that, you know, digital audio workstations, they really democratized music creation and forced it into a lane that's complex, tough, and often isolating. You know, it's not easy. Not everybody has that mind to use computers and a digital audio workstation. So music making is about to become far more simple, entertaining, and social. And at its core, music creation is the extension of fandom. And that's the exact need that TikTok tools could end up serving better than anyone. TikTok will build it and fans will use it. Will the rights holders capitalize on it? Fantastic piece uh, from Chris yeah. Thakra. You know, we're, we're big fans. Uh, we don't make any secret of it. But this is an amazing piece. And I'm going to save this and we're going to see how some of these things evolved because it's sort of you know, a prediction and some of it seems sort of pie in the sky, but it wasn't that long ago where we hadn't even heard of AI, you know, and yeah. now it's just the topic du jour. So again, uh, we love media research. Great job, Chris. And what I like about about this sort of prediction of some of these tools is that, you know, much like you said uh, earlier about Microsoft Word, you know, if you look at the Office suite, it is so dense and deep. All of the tools within Excel and Word and PowerPoint, it just gets more complex 
every time they do an update. Yeah. And at least for me, I end up using like 2% of the things sure. that it can do. Yeah. But I, uh, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some of these tools that are just a little bit easier to use and not so many options and choices because yeah. it is really easy to get lost in those options and choices when you just want to get some stuff down. That's right. And, and why do you so, think GarageBand is so popular? Because it's easy to use. Reason. And if you look at the new versions of Photoshop, for example, they have a new version mm -hmm. that has this sort of heads up display. And it, it's like using AI, but it's right there and it's really simple. Now, Photoshop is a lot like Word in that it does a thousand things, but I use it for three, you know? Yes, exactly, and I yeah. just want that stuff to be simple. And that's one of the reasons why Apple's suite of, you know, pages and numbers and mm -hmm. Keynote, I love using them because they're simple. I don't need to go through tons of menus, you know, to your point, just that's for the mega user. That's not for me. Right. And if you're not a Mac user, that, that is Apple's version of the Office suite that Microsoft does. And it is a much simpler and more elegant, for most people, version of, of those tools. So, yeah, it's, it's boy, there's a lot coming down the pike, Jay. And it's going to be really crazy and exciting to see how, how what shakes out, what really actually does come to pass. Yeah. Um, but the, but if, if, if a third of these things that Chris is talking about come to pass, boy, oh boy, oh boy, we've got some I think exciting and crazy things. I think he's spot on. To. You know, the one so thing too. about media that you and I have talked about is that their forecasts and predictions are, they're pretty close. Their crystal ball is really well They've maintained. They've got a good one. Very accurate. <laughs> I keep looking to get a crystal ball like that yeah, for me too. stock market, but hey, I haven't found it yet. Right. Hey, we do need to wrap up the show and I want to thank our sponsors because they rock. Yes, uh, they big do. thanks to Bandzoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town and the Music Business Association. Boy, we certainly appreciate it. And of course, thanks to you, the listener. Jay and I do not take that for granted. So thanks for listening in and we certainly appreciate it. And with that, we will see you next time. So thanks for joining us and we'll be back next week on the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.